1: What's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode number 88 of the Analytics podcast, coming to you from the Anchor Loop studio in not very sunny and still unseasonably chilly Bradenton, Florida. I am your complaint about the weather no matter where I am because I'm just that guy, Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, it's Royal Rumble weekend, baby. I know WrestleMania is the biggest show every year, but whatever, man. For me, ever since I can remember, the Royal Rumble has always been my favorite wrestling event of the year. I love the intrigue, the surprises, the memorable moments, almost everything about the Royal Rumble. To celebrate this year's show, I'll be joined by PW Insider. Mike Johnson Now in my opinion Mike Johnson is on the Mount Rushmore of wrestling dirt sheet writers. He's right up there with Dave Meltzer, Brian Alvarez and Wade Keller as far as I'm concerned as being the best. He's been at PW Insider since day one all the way back in 2004. We talk about this year's World Rumble. I'm running down the entire card from top to bottom with him. I'm getting his thoughts and his predictions on all the matches. We also talk a few other WWE things along the way. And I spent a little time talking with Mike about what he does and how he's become so goddamn successful at it. He really is. He is one of the best. PW Insider is one of the best known wrestling websites in the world. And he's right at the center of it. So we talk about all that stuff. It's a good interview. Right before that, I got my man Joe on for another installment of the Running with Joe. Today, we're talking potential NFL rule changes that we may end up seeing based on last week's highly controversial conclusions to both championship games. We also spend some time talking about the Buffalo Bills offensive line, whether Brandon Bean should bring back their own pending free agents on the line. There's three of them we discuss and how each of us would attack that position over the offseason. If we were the general manager, I also sneak in a rumble prediction from Joe as well. And he throws me a winner on the men's side, by the way, in a scenario and very interesting one that I hadn't thought of. I'll have both those interviews in just a minute real quick, and then I'll get to both those interviews. And I know this is not something that generally I talk about on the Analytics podcast. Well, actually, in some ways, I sort of do. I like to go beyond just talking sports when I have people on. So I guess we do talk about music in some regards anyway. I'm looking at Twitter, going through my feed as I'm getting ready to do this opening. And I see that on this day, seven years ago, I'm sorry, eight years ago, 2011, Adele released her album 21. Now I knew this was a big album. I remember it very well. Doesn't surprise me as I'm looking up the research that It was the number one album of the year. That doesn't surprise me at all. Doesn't surprise me that it's the number one album even of the decade. But here's something I did not know. And this stuns the shit out of me. Maybe you knew this. I don't know. Adele's 21 album is the number one album all time on the Billboard Top 200 albums. had no clue. That blows me away. I'm sitting there right now looking at the top 10 and it really is a diverse collection of artists, which is cool. I mean, I don't want one John you're dominating, but check this out. So Adele's number one. Maybe you know this, maybe you didn't. Number two, the Sound of Music soundtrack. That's an oldie, obviously very old. Number three. Now this surprises me, Michael Jackson Thriller. I'm surprised in that it's only number three. I would have thought this was number one of all time. It's My favorite album, by the way. Of all time, of course, that's from the early 80s. I think that's like around 83 that came out. Number four, Taylor Swift, Fairless. Nah, that does nothing for me. I don't even know. She's got a hit every other week, so I have no clue what songs are even on that album. So it doesn't surprise me, but I don't like it. Number five, this was another album that I loved in the 80s, Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA, one of the most famous album covers ever. Love that album. Number six. Garth Brooks, Rope in the Wind. Eh, you know, I'm not as high on Garth Brooks as a lot of people are out there, but much respect to him. It's kind of like U2. I'm not the biggest U2 fan, but I respect the hell out of what they've done. Kind of feel that same way about Garth Brooks. And he does put on a hell of a show. I've watched with my wife a couple of his TV specials and they really are good live shows. Number seven, this surprises me a little bit. Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. I didn't love her that much in the nineties. She's one of those artists that kind of grew on me as the years gone by. I probably like her music now more than I did back in the nineties. Good album, though. I don't know. I didn't know it would be number seven of all time, though. That that, that surprises me. Number eight, Dr. Shibago soundtrack. That's two movie soundtracks in the top eight of all time. That's pretty cool. Number nine, you know what? If you like this album and you think it should be in the top ten turn this podcast off, unsubscribe, unfollow me on Twitter, block me on Twitter, unlike my Facebook page, all that shit. Because if you like Nickelback, all the right reasons, and you think that should be a top 10 album all time on Billboard, I have no interest in talking to you. Seriously, that's fucking trash, dude. That, that's a trash album, trash group. I, I, I hate Nickelback. I hate him with a passion. And if you like them, I probably... I guess maybe there'll be a couple exceptions, but in all likeliness, I probably want nothing to do with you. Anyway, rounding out the top 10, Carol King, Tapestry. Good album, good album, very underrated. You know, she's more known for her songwriting than performing, but great album, not totally stunned to see that. By the way, just missing the count, and I remember this album so well. Whitney Houston, the first one, her self-titled album. Great album. So that's your top 10 Billboard albums of all time. I wasn't stunned to see Adele on the list, but I was stunned to see her number one. But hey, I guess it's deserved. Adele's right up there. Just whatever you do, please tell me if you're listening to this show that you don't like Nickelback. All right, let's get into today's podcast. First up is my man Joe doing the running with Joe. Immediately followed by Mike Johnson from PW Insider talking WWE and running down the Royal Rumble. All right. I got Joe on. Buffalo wins on Twitter. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? What's going on, Pat? Not too much. I saw a tweet of yours and I wanted to hit on this right at the top. And then we'll get into a little bit of football talk. This won't be a terribly long segment. But like I said, I saw a tweet that you watched the Hulu version of that Fire Festival documentary and that your friend was an executive producer on it. I saw both documentaries. One was on Hulu and the other one on Netflix. I saw them both this past week because... Originally, I was supposed to have Charlotte Wilder on, and she had watched him, and that was going to be one of the things I was going to talk to her about. We'll do that down the road with her as well. But anyway, what were your thoughts on that documentary, that Billy McFarland dude, and the Fire Festival thing in general? Because, I mean, that was some crazy shit, and I personally would recommend anyone watches that. If for no other reason than maybe it could prevent somebody from getting bamboozled when you see these kind of, well this seems too good to be true kind of, you know, video promotions out there. What, what were your thoughts on that?
2: I mean, Billy McFarland kind of stole the uh, documentary and stole people's money, obviously, as right. well. Uh, he definitely had he had a punchable face uh, in terms of like what a complete and utter douche, you know, when it comes to what he did. And also he he kind of he came across a little bit like the non-charismatic version of of. uh Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Wolf of Wall Street, jo- whatever, Jordan Belfort. Yeah, like he kind of reminded me of like his like, whole whole thing was kind of like a Ponzi scheme and and that sort of stuff, like a non charismatic version of it. And you know, it, it's um, it's pretty messed up. Like I, I thought, like the the Hula doc was really great. You know, definitely I thought made millennials kind of look a little stupid, like they have kind of rich rich ones fell for this. And I don't even remember when this all happened. Like, I do remember the aftermath, like people complaining and making the news Mm -hmm. cycle of, of all that sort of jazz. But, uh, yeah, you know, the guy was a con man. Uh, Ja Rule is, you know, didn't want to take part in the documentary and he's been on Twitter, like saying, Oh, I had nothing to do with it. I didn't know. Do you believe him? Nah no, I, I mean I don't know. I mean I never liked Rule, so my, my I'm jaded when it comes to my opinion of it, of him. I never liked him when I was a, a teenager and he was popular. I didn't even know he was still around, you know, in terms of in terms of his music. Yeah. I just remember like fifth I just remember when Fifty Cent and him had like their rap battles, fifty Cent destroyed him and and you know, he was a fake gangster kind of so I never Thought twice about him. But yeah, he probably didn't know it was a little bit of a Ponzi scheme. I, mean, I don't even know. Was he even there? Did he even go to the island? At I don't all? Like- I don't think he ended
1: up making it. No, from what I've seen, at least in both documentaries, I don't think he ended up getting there. Well, let me ask you this, though, okay? And you're 100% right about Billy, Billy McFarland. Couldn't have said it better mm-hmm. myself. And he was absolutely a con man. And you, you've only seen the Hula one at this point. I think the biggest difference between the Hula one and the Netflix one was on Netflix. It was more about the event itself from the very beginning planning stages, piece by piece all the way through, you know, as it became a disaster. Whereas Hulu had a sit down interview with Billy McFarlane, of which I've learned that they paid him for doing that. You know, it had his girlfriend on there. It was more about the story It was as much about him as it was the festival itself. But from what I gather, it seems like the intention was there early on to to have a fire festival. But they quickly realized, or he quickly realized, that this shit was just not going to happen. They didn't plan. They didn't have enough time to plan it properly. They didn't do everything right. They led people on, but it seems like that volcano got going and they realized quickly they were in over his head. But it didn't feel like he set out for this to be a straight scam on millennials. Whereas the business that he started with someone else, or I guess, uh, You know, he was in the face of it. Someone else's, I don't remember the person's name, but that was a straight scam, man. I mean, they were selling tickets for events that tickets weren't available for. That was straight up scamming your money. And that's ultimately, I think he was out on bail from this. And now he's doing, I think, six years in jail. I don't want to give too many spoilers away for people who haven't seen it yet. But it feels like, feels like this festival started out, at least, with the intentions of having a great show. And it just fell apart, went to shit real quick.
2: Yeah, I don't believe that. I think he knew he was scamming from the beginning. It's, it's, it, and you have to look at the backstory of like how he, like that weird credit card thing he had, and all that yeah. other stuff. Like he's just as a guy who just you know just he's probably you know he's a guy who like declared bankruptcy and probably has like a thousand credit cards maxed out and just tries to pre- present this aura of him being like this smooth businessman who you know has the Midas touch. I think he knew from the beginning he was he was conning. He was gonna, he was going to con people. You know, with it, and he was totally disorganized and everything along those lines. And you know, screw him; he sucked.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I will say this: so, like I said, I I think it's definitely worth a watch. I I, mm-hmm, I, I would tell people out there to watch it. All right, let's get into some football now. On the heels of last Sunday's both the AFC and NFC championship game, they were memorable for a bunch of good reasons and a couple shitty ones. Let's talk about those shitty ones, all right? Because I wanted to. Get <laughs> I want to get your take on a few things that I think may become major talking points during the next NFL Rules Committee meeting. Whenever that is, I have no freaking idea where it is. I just know that it's coming. One of them, obviously, is that overtime rule for the playoffs. Now, the Kansas City Chiefs, they never touched the ball in overtime and they lost. And I think I have a problem with that. And not because the Patriots won either. I'd have the same exact problem if it was the other way around. And the Chiefs won the toss and the Patriots never got to touch the ball. Tom Brady doesn't get to his ninth Super Bowl. He doesn't even get a chance because they lost a coin flip. You know what I mean? I feel like regular season overtime rules, that's one thing. This shit's acceptable to me. But when there's a trip to the Super Bowl on the line, I don't know about you, man, but I got a big problem with one team not being able to even touch the football because they called heads and it landed tails. What about you? Do you agree with
2: that? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm leaning towards that. I mean, I think I saw a stat where since they knew, they made the new rule changes for overtime, I think in the playoffs, teams are like nine and one when they win the toss, you know, in the, in those games, like when they win the toss in overtime, which is pretty, you know, and in some of those cases they weren't. They didn't score right away, but that just kind of, you know, in some cases they have. So that that should show you a little bit about the power of getting the ball first. I don't know. I'm, I'm you know, you can. It seemed like the NFL when they put these new OT rules in, they kind of did it in a, a half pregnant way where they were trying to like get rid of the coin toss of being that big of an effect, but then it it became one of those things where it's it helped, but it's not all the way in, I would say. I, if I were them, look, I like the idea. I like the college rule. I think it's college overtime. I think it's kind of cool. Maybe with the NFL, I would maybe move the ball back to like 50 yards. And like have the team start at midfield and you get one chance each and then go from there and see and see where you go. Um, I, I you know, for the regular season, I'd never really like ties. I think those are weird, especially with NF- the NFL. I just I'm not accustomed to ties. You know what I mean? It's kind of like weird for me to see that. But I would do it to where, hey, go we re- I would just do revamp it and do more of like that college style and maybe just push it back like 40 to 50 yards or. You know, that's what I would do. I think that would be fun. I think it would make the it, it would make it go a lot faster, and then uh, do it that way. Because like the whole thing, like playing for the field goal and then going for the touchdown and everything like that. You know, it, it it's a little bit. Uh, you know, you can you can get easily burned by it. And yeah, it would have been entertaining to see both Mahomes and Brady have the ball in overtime and see what both guys. Could do, but I I don't I feel they're not gonna they're not gonna do anything with that because that that's happened numerous times where it's like okay guys sits on the you know offense sits on on the sidelines doesn't get the ball and they score a touchdown I mean it happened in the Super Bowl with the with the Falcons and and Patriots you know when the Patriots won in overtime so. That's I would do that, but I don't think, with the fifty yard line thing. But I don't think the NFL is going to do anything about it.
1: I think I saw a stat, and I'm not going to fact check it. I'm not going to bother fact checking. We're and maybe like Tom Brady's three and zero in the playoffs in, in the postseason in overtime, where the other team never even got to touch the ball. I know if two of them right off the top of my head. I don't know. Just imagine this, okay? Being a Bills fan because because we are Bills fans. Just imagine following that team from training camp. Investing all your time and your energy and your emotion and your money into a team getting into the playoffs and you know they're on the road, whatever, or at home, I guess it doesn't really matter. And, you know, the captain, Lorenzo Alexander, calls heads and it lands tails, and you never even get to touch the ball. It would just feel like the biggest sucker punch to the face that you can imagine. I can't even imagine how I would feel right now. I didn't have a horse in the race in that, in that game Sunday, but if I did, if I was a big chiefs fan, I'd be wanting to cry. I'd be wanting to kill somebody right now. My MVP quarterback doesn't even get to touch the ball. It just doesn't feel right to me.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I've always, I've made the, I've always braced for that scenario happening, but in a different way where the bills win the toss, they get the field goal and then it's like, oh hey, they should win if it was the old overtime rules, but they don't, and then the other team gets the ball and gets a touchdown in the game ends. Well that like would, always that,
1: that would suck, but at least both that teams would suck to too. Touch like the ball. I would be
2: like Yeah. But I yeah, I mean look, they've 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 talked about that this for years. Like the origin of the coin toss when it was like first team that scores wins. That was the point of that. And like I said, they did it half pregnant in a way, you know, so Yeah, it would be a sucker punch. You can't, you you know, it's, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But yeah, it it would probably, I still think, again, do the 50, do the 50 yard line thing. I think that would be a good idea. It quickens the game. You got 50 yards to go, you know, instead of a kickoff. And, you know, because like when you look at the the original rule, like in the regular season, it's like 10 minutes you get, you know, it's easily, you'll you'll be lucky to get two drives out of that, you know, with, with, but with, if you do it like shorter with like 50 yard line, you get the ball each it can be a lot quicker. That's what I would do. I think that would eliminate everything. Hey, you just started the 50, you know, who cares? Like it's, it's fun. I don't want to hear people bitch about being gimmicky and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, But, uh, I agree you with know. you real quick with the chiefs. Like, yeah, look, I, I am definitely that guy who's going to say, look, they lost that game a lot of different ways, you know, which we, you know, we can get into, but like they got their asses dominated in the first half. You know, if they were competent in the first half, you know, and not getting like, you know, Patrick, you know, Mahomes completing like four passes, you know, there's a good chance that the game's not going to overtime. You know what I mean? And and there are other things I'd like added to that.
1: Well, that's a perfect segue into what I'm going to get into next because of the NFC side and the, uh, and the other problem. And of course, again, I'm talking about the Saints Rams game was a blatant pass interference call or a hit to the head, by the way, a non-call, I should say by an official who very. You know, it was very obvious that this guy was scared to have the game influenced by his yellow flag at the end. Ultimately, that leads to the Saints getting screwed and the Rams winning. And yes, and this is where you brought this up, and I'll agree with you. Yes, you know, the Saints could have stopped the Rams from tying it on the last drive. They could have put the game away early when they were up 13 0. They could have won in overtime. Unlike the Chiefs, they actually did win the toss and they had a turnover in overtime that led to their loss. But here's the thing, man. Bottom line. That game, for all intents and purposes, it should have ended with that non-call. That should have been a call because that allows the Saints to kick a field goal just a couple seconds left on the clock. I mean, what's your take on that? Perhaps the NFL, maybe they find a way, and this is my opinion, and you let me know if you think this is complete bullshit to you, but maybe during this offseason, the NFL finds a way to incorporate the pass interference call into uh, both reviews. Maybe not for the whole game because, I mean, I don't need another four or five reviews in my life. You know what I mean. But maybe the final yeah. two minutes of a half or um, the fourth quarter, because that should have never happened. That was blatant, and the game's over. The Saints win the game if if the referee throws that flag. There was nothing the Rams could have done to, to stop the clock at the end after that.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they that was a horrible call, and I think you said it best when you said that the referee was afraid to throw the flag. I mean, that's what it was. He was afraid to throw the flag. He didn't want to, you know. Give the Saints the game, I guess, on that. Or who knows? I mean, it was a horrible call. And, you know, the Rams even knew that. Roby knew that. I'm not down with having reviews for pass interference. I think it's subjective. I think what you have there is the guy, is you have a ref who just buckled under pressure. And, you know, and what has to happen is, like, the NFL needs to, like, set, like, probably a memo to those refs and go, hey, when it's two minutes left and, and you know, the game is on the line, call a freaking penalty. Don't let the guys just play you know and i think you do that you know and then you you maybe not get a call like that you know not being called um if you do any review again it goes it get, it becomes subjective like was there really pass interference like what are you going to you're going to have challenges for pass interference like be, you know after, you know within 2 minutes of the, of the game you know it's it's just going to it's just going to bring a whole new like You know, is this a catch or not? That's what it's going to bring to the table. It's The same thing. Like, is that interference? Is he touching him? Should I just let him play guy? You know, that sort of stuff. And I just, I just don't want that. Bottom line is this. The guy blew the, blew the call and it sucks for the saints. I feel bad. They should have won that game right then and there, but there's no, you can't, you know, I guess, Hey, if you want to do interference, like at the end of the game, Like, okay, like final two minutes, you get one, you can review past interference calls, I guess, fine. But again, you're getting into that whole subjective what's interference. I mean, that was such a a horrible call. I mean, you know, it was blatantly bad. But And we've seen that. We saw that in the Super Bowl, remember, with the the, the Ravens and 49ers, where uh, the Ravens cornerback interfered with the 49ers wide receiver at the end of the game. Right. You know, and and that was – and no one gave a crap afterwards, you know, about it. It was like, okay, yeah, whatever. It's a missed call. I mean, this one – definitely has more legs because it was way worse.
1: Right. And but and, and that's I, a good yeah. point because not every pass interference call is blatant. Some of them are borderline yeah. where you could say, "Oh, it's, I guess it depends on who you want to win that game or who you want to get that call, whether it's a penalty or not. Yeah. It just sucks. I don't think, it sucks to see a team lose on a yeah. call that bad.
2: Yeah. That's the thing. I don't think you're going to see pass interference calls that badly have, you know, like that, like that was a horror. I mean, he mugged him. I mean, it, we knew that five seconds into the replay. Like, what the hell was that? And again, I think, I think the official, like you said, he just got scared and he didn't want to, he either wanted to prolong the game. So he was like, oh, hey, the saints will, will lead. And maybe, I don't know, like uh, prolong is a little bit, maybe I'm mixing it too fix or up fixed or, you know, fixed or whatever. But like, oh, this, you know, what, what if the, what if the, what, what, if, the, what, if, the, what if the, what if the score was like the saints were trailing, you know, by, you know, the, tra- the Saints were trailing in that in that position, maybe by seven. You know what I mean? Would they would they have called interference? I bet they would have if the Saints were like trailing by seven to like prolong that drive. It's just weird. Like those instances happen where they look at the scenario of the game and go, oh, yeah, let's call it because they're down by seven instead of them being tied at that point. So, yeah, it was just a, I, I, it was just a bad call. But I'm not really down with having like replay like that. Look, we watch these games on Twitter and we all complain about these reviews. All of us. We're just like, enough. And like I think that's a problem with the NFL that they have right now is just these gate these games are taking too damn long. The refs are being too big of a part of it. I don't need them to be more of a part of it with pass interference. All right. I mean,
1: it's a fair point because you know what? If you do that, where does it end? Next thing you know, right. a bladed holding call that didn't get flagged, you know. Runes a drive and it can end the game or a horse collar or you know, something along those lines. We'll see. I'm sure that they're gonna at least visit this game when it comes to the rules during the off season meetings and who knows if something will come of it. I just don't want to see a team get screwed, but you're right. It's just such a subjective thing. I want to circle yeah. back to that AFC game real quick, then we'll move on. I wanted to point this out because I think, you know, overtime shit aside, Andy Reid made a major mistake. By not using a timeout to get that defense a chance to get their shit together in overtime. New England's driving Mm -hmm. right down that field. You could see it coming. I'm sure that defense saw it coming. It looked inevitable. They looked beat and tired. Andy Reid not calling a timeout and giving them a chance to regroup. You know, even when they got inside the 20 and said, all right, man, let's hold these guys to a freaking field goal. You know what I mean? We'll get the ball. But they just marched right down. I mean, even inside the goal, they they were exhausted when Rex Burkhead scored that running touchdown. It'll blow it'll blow my mind all off season long why Andy Reid did not call
2: a timeout. Eh, not me. I mean they, they could have called seven timeouts and they would have the Patriots were scoring. I mean the that the way that game was looking, the Pats were like both offenses were like unstoppable at that point. I think a timeout wouldn't have I don't think it would have changed anything. But yeah, I guess they could have done that. But it hurt they, him. They, I, I don't think it would have hurt him. Uh, um, yeah, but it wouldn't have helped. So I think, eh, I, I
1: think New England's beatable. And we'll wait till next week to get in like Super Bowl picks and stuff. But I think New England's beatable in this Super Bowl. But the margin for error to beat a team like New England, it's almost zero. Once the playoff starts, it just seems like you have to play almost a perfect game to beat them. I mean, these dudes—simply put, the New England Patriots are not going to beat themselves. I and mean, it's a, like I said, a little bit too early for predictions. But do you like the Rams' chances next week?
2: Yeah, I totally you. I think the Rams have way, have a lot of ta- have more talent than the Pats. I think with the with going back to your point about the Pats, like they're beatable. Here's the thing with them: I think they have been, you know, during the regular season, it was not their best regular season. Like people were like, "Oh, they're like Brady's done." Like I remember after the freaking Bills game in Foxborough, where he didn't look that good, and I, I thought it was more of a byproduct of, "Hey, they were like, screw it, we're just gonna run the football every down and run it down your throat." But people were. Hey, this could be it. This could be it. This could be it. I think with the Pats, I don't think they give a crap about the regular season. I think they're like, whatever. Like, we'll get in with a a second round bye, and whatever. We'll be eleven and five, and then when the playoffs start, that's when they get all like insane. You know what I mean? Because Brady in these playoff games, he's looked great. Like he's looked like vintage Brady. Whereas like you know most of the season, or at least like the last month, he didn't look that great. And I part of me kind of thinks they're just like, yeah, whatever. When when the playoffs start. That's when we care. They do that stuff in the NBA, like the Golden State Warriors. They don't care about the regular season. They're like, whatever, resting our guys. We don't care. We yeah. will get in the playoffs as a one, two, three seed, whatever, and then we'll kill everyone. You know, that's, I think that's how the Pats are. Like when it comes to the regular season, at least I, I don't know. I feel that way. I mean, look, they beat two the the Chargers, who I think had like well, they, you know they they were they had I think like the second or third best record. You know, they dominated they had the
1: Chargers a, too. Yeah. yeah,
2: they kicked the Chargers' asses, and then even the Chiefs, like they the Chiefs we're kind of lucky to like take that game in overtime because they got, they I got agree. thoroughly outplayed in that first half. Like if, it, if the, if Reggie Ragland didn't pick off that pass, they're down 21, nothing.
1: Right. I agree. <laughs> you
2: know what I mean? So I, th- I just think it's one of those situations where they just, when this playoff start, they're just like, okay, this is where we need to be at our best. Before
1: we get out of here. I do want one bills topic to hit on today. I don't want to spread ourselves too thin because there's a lot of weeks left before free agency starts and stuff like that. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that the Bills are going to try and upgrade the starting offensive line this year, at least three-fifths of it. And as it turns out, Ryan Groy, John Miller, Jordan Mills, they're all free agents. That was this year's opening day, starting center of right guard and tackle, by the way. Now, again, via free agency or the draft, they're going to look to upgrade those three spots. My question to you is, are any of those guys 3 Pending free agents, do you see any interest in the Bills bringing any of them back at all, even if it's just Ross or death? Or do you think they say, see ya to all three of them and, and try to do better?
2: I feel like are going to say goodbye to all three of them. And I don't think it's more of like, oh, they can do better. I think it's one of those things where those guys are not their guys. You know what I mean? And, and like Mills was an inheritance. So was Groy. Who was the other third one? Who's the third offense lineman you mentioned? Mills, Mills, Miller, and Groy. Yeah, exactly. They're both – they're guys that they kind of inherited. I think that's why – look, if there's one thing we've seen with this Elizabeth regime, they like their own guys. And I think they inherited those guys, and I think they're going to let them go, especially with you have a new offensive line coach, you know, and I think they're going to be gone. If they want to re-sign them for depth, like, oh, hey, like, you know, I don't really – I don't know. John Miller's kind of a – he had some good moments in his career here. You know, I, I thought he was good when they first started, and then it was kind of like he kind of got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, you know, with him being the, you know, one day it's Vlad Dukas, next day it's him, and then the next day it's the other guy. And it's just, he's kind of I don't mind him that much because hey, he's a third round pick. He had a There's good rookie year. There.
1: Yeah, he had a good yeah, rookie.
2: Yeah, he had a he had a, yeah he was he was pretty good his rookie year. I think he was good. When was he drafted? 2015? Um, was he, 15, yeah, 2015. yeah, 2015. Yep. Yeah, so 2015, 2016, he played. You know, he was their starter then. Then when McDermott came in. That was like the Vlad Dukas. Let's keep switching them up. But, you know, he's he's got talent. Like, hey, if you want to sign him as a depth guy, sure. You know, but Mills got, you know, God bless Jordan Mills. I I, I can't recall a player who has been as bad as he has, but keeps starting, yeah. you know, for them. Like, we keep thinking, okay, he's done. Like, goodbye, Jordan Mills. And then he comes back. It's like, okay, we're going to start him, you know, again. And But um, I think they're going to let all three guys go. If they want to keep him from depth, and they're cheap, like, let's just say they're, they cost like a couple million, maybe, you know, or something like that, then fine. Like have some depth there. I'm not going to die, but if just don't trot them out as starters. I think, you know what I mean? I, Especially, I, think,
1: I think Miller is the one of the three who maybe they might want to bring back to compete if they don't, you know, get a chance to spend money on a, on a good guard or draft someone relatively high, maybe to keep him to compete Mills. You have a better chance of playing right tackle next year for the bills. than Jordan Mills does. I'll tell you that right now.
2: I could see Miller getting some money in the free agent market. I really do because he is a starter who started in this league for like two seasons, two plus seasons basically. And he is a third round talent, you know, whereas the other guys, you know, I don't even know where the hell Jordan Mills came from or, or, or Groy. It was just a guy that, you know, he had a nice stretch like in 2016 when Wood broke his leg and then like he was terrible afterwards when they brought him back yeah, in. So yeah.
1: I, I think the offensive line is the one position where, you know, I'm good with the Bills upgrading receiver, running back, tight end, maybe the defensive line, primarily do the draft. If there's one area I really would like to see Buffalo spend big, it's on the offensive line. I mean, of course, that's always risky too, though. I mean, let's, do you remember 2007? Remember the Bills were going to build an, an incredible offensive line instantly through free agency. They went out. And they spent a shit ton of money on freaking Langston Walker and Derek Dockery, who were just both complete disasters. You remember that era when we spent all that money on the offensive line? You got to be careful who you sign. But I don't know. I'm willing to go that route again and hope that they do better this time. I, I want a good veteran offensive line in front of Josh Allen, my young quarterback.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I'll, I'll actually go back to 2007. I actually, here's the thing. I thought Langston Walker was horrible. Like, he was completely overrated, terrible. They should not have given us away. Dockery, I thought, was okay when he played. The problem was, Dockery wasn't worth $50 million. Yeah, he got and,
1: like $7 million a year, man. And
2: that was back yeah, 11 was, years. That
1: was 12 years ago, too, by yeah, the way. Yeah.
2: He didn't, well, and I always remember, he didn't get that $50 million. He got like $22 million. Now, You know, that that's phony money. But, like, I thought. It's it, it always. I, I'm not gonna like be a, be afraid because of what they spent on that. And that if you look at that line, I mean, yeah, it wasn't that great. You know, they had Peters. I think they lost everything when they traded Peters, which was which we could talk about one other day. But um, yeah, look, if they want to go offensive line, I've always had the chicken and the egg with the offensive line because I've seen I've seen offenses where. You know, they got nobody up front, but they have a great scheme. They got a quarterback who can get rid of the ball fast. Like I can't even like who the hell are Tom Brady's offensive linemen, you know, who are like the New Orleans Saints offensive linemen. I remember when Drew Brees, when he won his Super Bowl, their highest like drafted offensive lineman at that point was a third rounder on that on that line, you know, and it was because why the scheme is good. The quarterback gets rid of the ball very fast. That's not to say like I don't I, you know with with Josh Allen like yeah hey it would be good to have a better offensive line because he fe- I, it feels like to me he's a guy who needs more time in the pocket because he throws he likes to throw the ball deep that's kind of his what he does well so maybe you got to invest more in the offensive line but we'll see i I don't you know everyone was kind of coming out in the woodwork when like the Colts were doing really well and they're like oh it's the offensive line that's what it is I'm like well it could be because luck got healthy and the scheme helped too you know what I mean and I think at times, you have to look at who your quarterback is. If your quarterback is, if your scheme is get rid of the ball fast, then I I, I think you can you can kind of BS the offensive line a bit. Well, if, if you're your court- if
1: you're right, but if your scheme's get rid of the ball fast and you got you got the wrong
2: quarterback in Buffalo, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I don't know. We don't well we don't know yet. I mean he I mean we have to see what happens with him. Like he's still he's still young. So maybe he'll eventually he'll get into like getting rid of the ball fast or whatever the case may be. I have no idea, but yeah, look, if they want to get some offensive linemen, fine. I still, I'm more of a team. Hey, give me some wide receivers. Give me a tight end. I want skilled guys. Like, give me those skilled guys, you know, and, and, and we'll go from there.
1: Matt Paradis is a center from Denver and, uh, Daryl Williams. He's a right tackle for Carolina. Those are two guys. They're at the top of my, Unrestricted free agent wish list. I I love to add them. I think you add them, and Deion Dawkins gets better. I think you get you have a really good offensive line, and I I just think it's a different team.
2: Yeah, well, check. Hey, we all know good 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 research by you to look for Carolina. I mean, that's what everyone should do right now. Exactly. See who Carolina's free agents are because they're gonna they're gonna go for them. You know, I was thinking too. Like with free, everyone seems to be saying. Like I, we talked about this last week on the podcast how. You know, a lot of people are kind of insinuating like the Bills aren't going to be active in free agency like or not not crazy active. And like we, can't, I feel like there's people in the media who are kind of like telling Bills fans, ah, you're you're fools if you think they're going to be spending all this money. You know, and I keep thinking to myself, are we because like I, I was even looking thinking of last offseason, like they spent like $50 million on Starlet 2A. They spent $30 million on Trent Murphy. Vontae Davis got $8 million. You know, if he would have played, that's what he would have gotten. And that was when they were against the cap. So like, I don't know. I, I think they're going to be very active and like this whole idea that they're not, they're not going to be crazy active. I, I don't know. I don't buy it. I think they're going to be active. I really do. When it comes, I think they're going to be, or at least try to be, you know what I mean? I don't they, think they it's almost not, have to be.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, you so have many guys. To- there's a lot of free agents that they got no interest in bringing back. They got a lot of holes to fill that I, right. They might not, you know, go after the top of the line guys where they're going to want to pay someone 10, $11 million or more a year, but they're going to have to sign a hell of a lot of guys. Again, I, I we, think, we're only talking yeah. about the offensive line today. I mean, shit, I just brought up three starters right there. Bodine, he yeah. might get cut. You know, that that's almost an entire offensive line between the draft yeah. and free agency. They're going to have to rebuild it in one year.
2: Yeah. they're. I think they're going to be, I think, I think this whole thing, like, I don't know. I, I feel. I feel like with Brandon being when he's when he talked about like he acted like free agency wasn't that great. I think he's just plain coy. He doesn't want to like open the gates for for agents to come in and call them and be like, hey, you know, we know you guys are greedy. We know you want free agents. It's Like you know, trying to use them against their client or whatever the case may be. Like that's kind of how I feel. He's just playing coy with that. They're gonna be active, you know what I mean? I, I just I just feel this is a big season for them. I don't think you can rely on just the draft to like get them to the next level of this year, like right away. That's just my opinion. So I don't know. I hope they're active. Give me like I said, look, I, I want give me one to two really good. Like give me Golden Tate. I like Golden Tate. I don't know why I've always liked him. I liked his name. <laughs> like, It's an awesome name, but he's a good wide receiver. And I think he would do he would mesh well with uh, Josh Allen. Like give me him and give me like a, a tight one of the tight ends. Like a, give me Ben Watson. There we go. Ben Watson from the Saints. He's a veteran. He knows the, the the Patriots. Uh, you know he knows Dable from the Patriots Day, I believe. Give me those two guys. Give me those two guys, and then you and then do whatever you want free in the draft. Get offensive lineman. I don't care. You know, <laughs> but give me give me at least one one close to one number one number two wide receiver and give me like a number one number two tight end you know that's that's what i want okay and you do that i'll be happy but you know if they if they go into it and get like you know small potatoes guys you know i'm just gonna be like whatever you know and i guess i guess some people will spin it like oh well you know when they got jordan poyer poyer was on an afterthought and look at him so maybe this guy who's gonna make three million dollars this year is gonna be oh, jordan poyer and i'll be like yeah whatever maybe who knows you know but you know That's what I want. I want offensive weapons. God damn it.
1: We'll see. We have plenty of time to talk Buffalo Bills free agency between now and when free agency starts, which I believe is like around March 13th. I'm sure we'll have some segments that are largely dedicated to talking about the Buffalo Bills and free agency. One last thing before I do let you go quick predictions only. I'm going to run down the entire car to get thoughts with Mike Johnson of PW Insider in just a moment. But I'd be remiss to have you on. It is the Running with Joe. We do talk wrestling plenty. I'd be remiss if I didn't get you to throw a quick prediction for the winner of both the men's and the women's Royal Rumble matches this Sunday. Who you got?
2: I think Braun Strowman's going to win the men's and he's going to challenge Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. Hmm. and WrestleMania. And I think Charlotte Flair is going to win uh, the women's Rumble.
1: Braun Strowman winning and then challenging Daniel Bryan. Never thought of that. All right,
2: cool. Yeah, man. I I just think I, I think that's that has Vince written all over it, like, oh, it's gonna be big guy versus the small guy, and then he'll kill Brian and mania. I can I can just see the promos because Brian has this whole like, you know, emo, you know, ecosystem guy with I love all it. Of his his yeah, it's been great, his green stuff. And I think you could do a lot with Strowman, like Strowman would I don't know, be eating a hot dog and being like, Oh, I love hot dogs, and Strowman being like and Brian would be like, You're killing everyone or something. Who who knows? So like I just <laughs> I could just totally see something like that up Vince's alley. And um, and then Rollins will go against Brock, I think, is, it will be at Mania as well. So that's where I got.
1: All right, man. We'll get together next week. And uh, we'll, among other things, we'll review the World Rumble. Talk to you next week, man. Good stuff.
2: Later, man. Just made the list.
0: Barack Leicester, Michael Cole, shut up. The house that
2: AJ Styles built. Who wants to walk with the lion? This is my yard now.
1: okay my featured guest today has been writing about professional wrestling for Pwi insider one of the best wrestling websites in the world since 2004 he's interviewed literally a who's who in the business throughout the years I wanted to get a guy to run down the world rumble with and man I got one of the truly elite wrestling scribes out there I am talking about Mike Johnson what's going on Mike how you doing
0: Hey, Patrick, thank you for having me. I appreciate you having me on. And Rumble is always important to us at PW Insider uh, because it's always uh, around our anniversary that when we launched that the Rumble took place. And uh, we're about to hit 15 years. So uh, I'm excited to cover the show this Sunday. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's the beginning of their lead into WrestleMania. So it's really, you know, for wrestling fans, it's the, uh, you know, it's really the the soap opera wedding session season. of the, of the year. It's when all the, all the, they all, all the breaks come off and uh, they take the training wheels off and they really kind of go full blown with the storylines and with the matches. So it's, it's an exciting time period for everybody that we're walking into.
1: Sure. And funny story, true story. Actually, my buddy, Joe, I do a running with Joe segment with him. In fact, we just did that before we're taping this. I told him that I had Mike Johnson from PW insider on and almost immediately he goes, Dude, you know, that's one of the Mount Rushmore when it comes to wrestling writers out there. One of the very best. That's a pretty good compliment, uh, man.
0: I, it is a good compliment. I'm not so sure I'm worthy, but I'll accept it nonetheless. So thank you, Joe. <laughs> All
1: right, so I got to have some notes jibbered down and still going to get to them. But first things first, as we're taping this on a Thursday, we've had some breaking news out there about Ronda Rousey. There's been reports varying from... She's going to be done wrestling with WWE after WrestleMania until she's not leaving the company to she's going to be taking some time off. I know it's very early in the process, but what have you heard at this point?
0: Well, WWE issued a statement that she's under contract until April of 2021. Uh, So she's not leaving the company because they're not going to release her to go somewhere else. I guess the, the impetus for the story is that she's going to take time off and, and try and have a kid. And maybe that's the case, but if that's the case, that's her business. And I kind of feel like that's a personal issue and a personal situation. Um, but I don't think we, we've seen the, the the end of Ronda Rousey wrestling in WWE. All
1: right. No, I want to get to the Royal Rumble and get your thoughts, maybe a prediction for each just in a minute. But before that, tell fans out there a little bit about PW Insider and how that got started. You guys have been around for, like you said, at the top, close to 15 years now. And you're one of, if not the best known wrestling news website in the entire world.
0: Well, we started, you know, we started out in 2004 prior to that, uh, Dave share, who is the, the, the founder of PW insider had been working for OneWrestling.com. He had decided that it was time for him to leave and start his own website. Uh, and he had invited me to come along. I came on board, uh, just a handshake deal And things just kind of fell into place. And I started doing more and more writing about WWE and other pieces of the other parts of the wrestling business. And pretty much we we launched uh, just a couple of days after the 2004 Royal Rumble. And it just took off from there. And we've been very lucky that we've been able to break a lot of big stories. We've been very lucky that we've had a consistent audience. We've been very lucky that we have a number of people who subscribe to our ad free elite service. (laughs) Excuse me. I apologize. I just sneezed. Um, You know, we've just been very lucky and it's just been nonstop consistent hard work. And we were just in the right place at the right time. And we've just honestly, we've just been very, very, very blessed by the support that the audience has given us.
1: So tell me, how did you get involved in the business of wrestling writing? Like, how did you get interested in first doing it?
0: I was always a fan and I worked in the entertainment industry and I was writing on the side just for fun. And it was never a plan to do this full time. This was not, there was no set plan to do this. Obviously it's a very unique job. It's a very unique genre. And basically what happened is I almost died in a car wreck and I had 18 months of physical therapy and all sorts of other things that I had to overcome. And I was doing writing to kind of keep myself sane. I went back to work in the entertainment industry and I was completely dismayed and disgusted and I just didn't want to be doing it anymore. And I basically said, all right, I don't want to do this. What do I want to do? I want to write. Okay, from now on, I'm a writer. And I quit my job, and I started writing full-time. Within a year, PW Insider launched. And once PW Insider started, I basically gave myself a year to make it happen. And if I wasn't making a full-time living off of it, I was going to go find something else to do. Luckily, well before that year ended up. I was doing it full time and I've been doing it full time ever since I was always around wrestling. I was always a fan. I was at the first Monday night raw. I was a lot of, I was at a lot of the early ECW shows, Uh, you know, and it just happened to be that uh, as I progressed as a writer, I ended up making contacts and networking and creating sources. And like anybody else, I just was lucky enough to have sources in the right place at the right time for different stories. And, you know, it, it really is just about, networking and creating relationships and finding people that you can trust and then double sourcing those stories and making sure that the information that you get is correct. And I was, I've I've been very lucky in that I've had a pretty good track record of doing it.
1: Wow. That's a, that's a really good story. Good for you. Good for you. All right. So let's get into the actual Royal Rumble match. Now I'm going to run it down. I just want to get a couple thoughts from you from each match, maybe a prediction. Let's start right at the beginning with the two Oh five title match. Buddy Murphy's defending in a four-way against Kalisto, um, Tozawa, and Hideo Itami, which I'm assuming is going to be a kickoff match.
0: Yeah, that's on the kickoff show that starts at 5 p.m. I like Tozawa, and I love Hideo Itami. Uh, I'm a big fan of Kalisto. All those guys are great performers. I just don't see any real reason for WWE to take the belt off Buddy Murphy right now. He's on a great, great run. He's got tons of momentum. His matches are good. He he, he has great performances every time he's on 205 Live every Tuesday night. Uh, I just, I don't see the upside to him losing the championship. I, I don't think there'll be a title change. I think Murphy's going to retain.
1: Okay, the other match on the kickoff show, Rusev will be defending his U.S. title against Shinsuke Nakamura, who, by the way, a year ago actually won the Royal Rumble and went on to WrestleMania. Now he's wrestling one year later on the kickoff show. Seriously. <laughs> what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah. That's a big come down for Nakamura. Huh? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't see Nakamura winning a title. I think they, they put the belt on Rusev. Uh, they like him. He, he's a, he's an overact for the company. And I, I don't, I, you know, Nakamura, even though he won the rumble a year ago, I don't ever feel like WWE's ever figured out the right formula for him. They've never really gotten the most out of him, especially when you compare to how he was portrayed in NXT, or especially how he was used in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong, but I I just don't see Rusev uh, losing the belt here. I think Rusev will retain.
1: I agree with you 100%. Okay, now on to the main show, the SmackDown Tag Team title match. We got the champions, the Bar, defending against Shane McMahon and The Miz. What are you thinking?
0: I'm thinking a title change here. I think the long-term plan here is for Miz and Shane to have some sort of breakup and then end up at odds against each other at WrestleMania 35 in New Jersey on April 7th. And I think putting the belts on them and then one side getting jealous of the other, which would probably mean the Miz, because he's the antagonist of all antagonists. But I think them getting the belts and then losing them and then Miz turning on Shane down the line is probably the most likely co- course of action. So I think the I think Shane and Miz are going to end up winning the titles here. I predict the title change.
1: Okay, we got the SmackDown Women's Title match. Oscar defending against Becky Lynch. I've heard a lot of people talking about this. Thinking it could go either way. What do you think happens? Does Becky Lynch become champion, or does she somehow get screwed over and Oscar retains? What are you thinking?
0: Ah, uh, Becky's a force of nature. I don't unless. Unless they're going to do some sort of screwy DQ finish or or a count out or something really short-sighted, Becky Lynch is going to get the title here. I have no doubt that Becky is going to be one of the main event acts of WrestleMania with Ronda Rousey and possibly Charlotte as well. Uh, But, you know, anything but Becky winning that championship is an affront to the hard work that she's put in and is just kind of thumbing it in the eye of the audience that really believes and looks upon her as one of the top stars right now in all of pro wrestling. I, I don't see Oscar coming out of this with the title. My gut is that Becky will win.
1: Okay, now what about on the Raw women's side, Ronda Rousey defending against Sasha Banks? I'll tell you, it's still probably 100% that Ronda ends up keeping the belt, but this WrestleMania potentially being the end for a while stuff, they might get at least... People thinking, I mean, they have made Sasha look pretty strong lately, but at the end of the day, do you think she has any chance of uh, actually winning this match?
0: I'm actually really looking forward to this match. I think, you know, Ronda Rousey has described this as one of her dream matches. And to me, Sasha Banks is always when she's motivated and they give her the right positioning. To me, she's always one of the more uh, talented and one of the more effective wrestlers that they have on the roster, male or female. I'm sincerely looking forward to this. Again, I don't see a title change here. If Ronda Rousey is going to lose her first ever singles match, it's not going to be it against Sasha Banks at the Royal Rumble. It's going to be on a bigger scale at a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam, one of the biggest shows of the year. Not a show that is 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 built to set up the biggest show of the year. Like it just it would, it's just cutting the momentum out from under her. My gut is Ronda, Becky, and Charlotte Flair, in some sort of three way uh, scenario will be the main event of WrestleMania for the women. And I think Ronda's going to go into that as champion.
1: I agree. And I could totally see something where Sasha Banks pushes Ronda Rousey farther than she's ever gone before. Before ultimately succumbing to Ronda Rousey, it makes her look strong. Do you think after this going forward that Sasha and Bailey going into the Elimination Chamber, that they're going to be the favorites to be the first women to become uh, tag team champions because that's where they're going to crowd it at Elimination Chamber?
0: I think they've got to be considered the favorite because they, they're really the only real babyface team. that has been pushed on a consistent basis. Uh, you know, if it was up to me, I'd want the Iconics to win it because I feel like they have done a good job, but they haven't had like that cornerstone moment. You know, they, they haven't had right. like a big milestone in their WWE careers yet. But when you look at it, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, Nia Jackson Tamina end up with the belts either because WWE likes having those monstrous, badass beaten down sort of tag teams you know they, they like to have the monsters for the the smaller wrestlers to come up against and try and cr- be the David against the Goliath I mean that's the whole theme of Brock Lesnar against Finn Balor so you've got a couple of teams that could go into the elimination chamber and win the tag belts I wouldn't I wouldn't uh dismiss Bailey and Sasha though I, I I'm a big fan of each of them and I think they're probably ble- even as much as they've been used They're still underrated in terms of of their worth to the company and in terms of how they're presented. You can certainly get more and get a deeper, deeper, deeper amount of work out of them than they currently have.
1: I'm with Mike Johnson from PW Insider. All right, we got the WWE title, a rematch. We got the new Daniel Bryan defending against AJ Styles. What do you
0: got? You know, it's an interesting one. You know, you're talking about Ronda might be leaving, but AJ's deal... Uh, all signs are that his deal at WWE is up in April. So they are in. They're obviously in the middle of trying to sign him to, to a longer form deal. Do they do they put flip the belt over to AJ as a way to say, Hey, you know, we want to keep investing in you. Come and stay with us. Everything's great. Or do they keep the belt on Daniel Bryan when Bryan's had basically he's been like a masterclassman in terms of creating this new Daniel Bryan character yeah. and his work in the ring is beyond beyond reproach. My gut feeling is Daniel Bryan retains the belt, but honestly, this is the one where I feel like they could flip the coin and go either way. As long as there's a great match, neither guy's going to lose anything. They're not going to lose any luster because they're each so great at what they do.
1: Do you like the new Daniel Bryan as a heel? Do you like the work he's been doing? I love it.
0: Love the character. Love the character. I'm a big fan of what he's done uh, in general. Uh, you know, I've watched him since he was literally wearing a mask for Shawn Michaels wrestling school in Texas and I've covered pretty much his entire career through Ring of Honor and, and the ups and downs in WWE, and I think he's a fascinating individual. I think he's a tremendously talented uh, performer, and I think he's going to be one of those wrestlers who, when we look back 10 or 20 years from now, he's going to be one of the defining performers, the way that Shawn Michaels was before him and Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan and Austin. He might not have the acclaim or the the over-the-top popularity of like a rock or an Austin or a Hogan, but certainly when you look at the work ethic of what he's done, he's one of the best of all time. And I think he's going to be someone that a lot of people study when they get into the wrestling business, five, 10, 15, 20 years from now, That guys beyond reproach in my eyes.
1: What about the universal title? We got Brock Lesnar defending originally. It was supposed to be against Braun Strowman, but they have switched that over the last two weeks. Now it's Finn Balor, probably going to be a good match, but I'm pretty sure I know where you're going with your prediction here, but <laughs> confirm it from me. Who you got?
0: Uh, well, I think it's going to be Brock Lesnar at five, one, two, three. Uh, I think the story here is Finn Balor has the strong battle, and even in losing, he gets the respect of the audience because he stood up to the, the bully. And even if he gets beaten in the end, he still gets to keep his respect and his pride. You know, they kind of made the decision once Braun Strowman injured his elbow. A month or so ago, and he had to go under undergo surgery, they were gonna quietly go with Finn Balor, and I think they did a nice job of quietly building up Balor for that moment where they they shifted him in and shifted braun out. Um, you know, and I, I I think this is more about sort of legitimizing and strengthening Finn Balor going forward than it's about putting the belt on Finn Balor. Again, same argument. this is a show that sets up WrestleMania, I don't see them changing a title now when they could change it on a much bigger scale and have that moment mean far more and have greater ramifications if they do it at MetLife Stadium in April.
1: Okay, now let's assume that you're right, and I'm sure you're going to be right. Brock's going to be Finn Balor. It'll be a good match, but Brock's going to win. Going forward, what do you think becomes of Finn Balor after this? What angle, what direction do you see him going over the next couple months going into WrestleMania?
0: Well, about Finn Balor chasing Bobby Lashley for the Intercontinental title?
1: Oh, there you go. That's a good one. Okay. That's good. What about Elias? I haven't brought him up and he's not, I mean, he is in the rumble match, but some wrestlers, you know, like we said, you agree, Daniel Bryan has been fantastic as a heel. How do you feel about Elias as a face? Because I kind of have reservations. He was drawing nuclear heat in every town he was in as a heel and he still gets to walk with Elias Chan. And I mean, it's loud as ever when he does it, but I don't know for me personally. And if I'm wrong, correct me by all means, but I kind of feel like. His popularity started to fall off a little bit as a face. I almost liked him better as a heel. Do you agree or no?
0: Here's the thing with Elias. The guy, there's something to him and his delivery, the way he speaks and get and, and enunciates and does his promos. And people obviously really either love to enjoy him. And before they turned him babyface, they loved to hate him. It kind of reminds me of Roddy Piper. Obviously, a different incarnation, a different time period. But when Roddy Piper turned babyface, when they made Roddy a good guy, the audience loved and they really relished getting to see Roddy pull all the shenanigans that he used to pull on Hulk Hogan and Junkyard Dog and everybody else on the other bad guys. Don Morocco, Bob Orton, Adrian Adonis. And I feel like they had an opportunity to do that with Elias, but they just never pulled the trigger. And I don't understand it. There was that one uh, Monday Night Raw where Elias was walking through the back and he was interacting with people, and it kind of reminded me of The Rock, you know, the way The Rock would interact with people. Right. And I felt like, ah, they're onto something. But then they just keep killing him off and, getting them, and he keeps losing matches. And I feel like, man, you could do so much more with that. There's so much greater and something uh, much grander that you can do with him. And I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe they think they're on the right path with him. But I feel like he could be higher up in 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 their in in terms of their his importance to their company. But thus far, it just hasn't happened. And maybe maybe at some point it will. But I feel like they kind of missed a window. And uh, I hope they they're able to I hope I'm wrong because I enjoy his work and I'd like to see him at a a higher level of positioning. I just don't know that they're going to get there.
1: Well, he is in the men's role, Rubble. Neither of us expect them to win. Who do you expect to win? When this is all said and done, I don't think this one is quite as uh, clear cut as the women's, although it could be wrong about the women as well. But this one might be a little more unpredictable. How do you see this played out? Who do you think wins?
0: Hornswoggle. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, You know, we still have some, as we record this, there's still some slots left, which means they could pull out some mystery surprises and stuff. And we don't know who those names might be. So they could throw somebody in there at the last minute and shock us by having him win, but we don't know who that could be. So we'll ignore all that. I I think the front runners have to be Seth Rollins or Drew McIntyre, or if you are gonna for the raw side of things, Mm -hmm. because those guys have had their best matches. They've obviously had great momentum and you could look at it and you go, all right, Drew McIntyre against somebody on top at WrestleMania. I could see why that would be a WrestleMania match. Seth Rollins, lots of momentum. Fans love him, Great work he could obviously main event against Brock Lesnar for, for the WWE Universal Championship, and you could see that fans would be interested in that. On the SmackDown side of things, you know, I'd love to see Samoa Joe win. I don't believe that's where they will go. Uh, you know, Rey Mysterio always pulls things out, and they love Rey Mysterio. He, it was just a year ago, he got a huge reaction coming out of the Royal Rumble in Philadelphia. But if I look at SmackDown, you know, Randy Orton is someone I don't ever discount. Because they love Randy Orton and they love to when you least expect it have him show up and you know it sounds cliche the RKO out of nowhere but the, every, every time you think like ah oh, they've kind of shifted Randy Orton down down a little bit out of nowhere he's back up at the top of the card and that's happened num- numerous times over the years including once winning a Royal Rumble that everybody was surprised at right uh, you know I look at it I look at it like this. Rollins, Orton, McIntyre. Those are my top three picks for the potential winners.
1: All right. I agree with you. Seth would go on to face Brock. That's a good match. For McIntyre to win, though, do you think that Brock would have to drop the belt before WrestleMania? Do you see a scenario where it could be Drew McIntyre wrestling Brock Lesnar? It doesn't why feel couldn't right.
0: Drew McIntyre. Why couldn't Drew McIntyre win? And then they turn him They turn him babyface afterwards.
1: Yeah, That could happen, too. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: You know, you never know. I mean, you know, at some point people got to shift. And I look at Drew McIntyre, and I look at him as like the long term potential for him is as a top babyface, top hero for that company. Uh, you know, I th- I think like at some point that sort of intensity and that sort of delivery and the promos and that sort of way that he carries himself in the ring, uh, I it, to me it lends himself lends itself to being uh, one of the top heroes. I don't know when they'll get there, but I think you know a year, maybe a year from two, year or two. That's his positioning and, you know, but maybe, you know, if, they're, if Ronda is going to be on top, Brock against Drew McIntyre underneath, even as a special attraction, if they're both villains, it's not a weird, it's not a bad match, right. you know? And the, you know, the idea of Drew McIntyre, this, this evil psychopath going toe-to-toe with Brock Lesnar, the ultimate bully in wrestling, what happens when these two guys go head-to-head? You know, to me, that could be intriguing depending on how they decide to build it.
1: Yeah, and I'll tell you, on the men's side, because – You said something earlier in this segment, which I completely 100% agree with you, that I think the women are going to end up main event at WrestleMania. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the favorite. Like, I still think Seth Rollins is probably going to win that. If a gun was to my head, that would be my pick. But you mentioned a dark horse like Samoa Joe. This could be the World Rumble match where maybe someone that not everyone is expecting does win because it doesn't automatically mean that it's going to close the show. Because like you said, I think the women are going to close the show for this, for WrestleMania. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the marquee main event match. Someone who you don't expect is more likely to win on the men's side than the women's side. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what WWE last year, that was the first time they ever had the women's Royal rumble to begin with that match closed rumble. Why can't the women close WrestleMania? I th- I think, I think it's silly to say, you know, especially when they've got the level of, of, of female athletes, like Ronda Rousey, Becky Lynch, Bailey, Sasha, Nia Jax uh Charlotte Flair etc that it'd be silly to say oh they can't close Wrestlemania why not their matches are just as compelling as anything the men are doing and many times their stories are better than what the men are doing week to week so they should be able to close it and to me I I think that I think it's a positive that they're going to be in that position and I and I hope you know everybody seems to be under the assumption Ronda Rousey's match is going to close Wrestlemania this year I hope that's correct because I think it's I You know, even if you take Ronda out of the equation, I feel like Sasha and Bailey and Becky and some of these other women have all earned their stripes and deserve to close WrestleMania, even if Ronda wasn't involved.
1: Yeah, I agree. One more question about the men, and then I want to wrap up with the Women's World Rumble. Dean Ambrose. Now, sometimes heel turns or feuds, they just underwhelm, they don't work out. It's hard to explain why, but clearly the whole Dean Ambrose turning and the match with him and Seth Rollins, I just don't think it delivered what they probably were expecting it to do. Where do they go from here with Dean Ambrose? Because I don't can see him continuing to go on with Seth Rollins much longer. So what direction do you see him going in?
0: Well, that's an interesting one. You know, uh, maybe if Seth Rollins isn't going to win, maybe Dean Ambrose is the one that causes him to lose and be eliminated from the rumble. And they build up to the big final confrontation, maybe in uh, at WrestleMania,
2: you know, you know, or, you know, you never
0: know. I, I, I I don't think we've seen the end of Dean Ambrose uh, in this current incarnation. I think him turning on Seth brought a new life to him. And I think his work's been very good. I was actually surprised to see the Intercontinental title shift over to Lashley. Me too. Uh, But I don't, I don't think it's the end. I I mean, I don't think it's the end of Ambrose's run. I think he still has a lot to give in, in his current incarnation and the current way that they present him.
1: Now in the women's rumble, has anyone got a realistic chance to win this aside from Charlotte Flair? The only scenario, like yeah, I think
0: I think I think Charlotte's I think it's Charlotte's match to lose. It's, she's going to go all the way.
1: Yeah, the only realistic scenario I could potentially see where Charlotte doesn't win is that maybe Becky Lynch gets screwed earlier in the night and her match with Asuka, someone interferes or something happens where she doesn't win the belt, and maybe Becky Lynch ends up. Entering the Royal Rumble and then she wins it. That's the only way I could see it. Let me ask you a question here, okay? And I'm gonna play fantasy booking, and you tell me if this is a little bit too much fantasy. I see a scenario Charlotte wins the Royal Rumble, which is no surprise, and then Becky Lynch does beat Asuka and she's the women's champ on the SmackDown side with Ronda retaining and the champ on the Raw side. And then for several weeks after Charlotte wins the Rumble, she goes to Raw you know, teasing that she's going to go after Ronda for the belt. Ditto on SmackDown. She's coming out during Becky Lynch's match or whatever, and you think that she's going to wrestle Becky. And the mystery is kind of for several weeks, well, who's she going to choose? And then ultimately, at the end of the day, maybe she does it at a elimination chamber or something. I have no idea. But ultimately, she decides that she wants to challenge both. She wants to challenge both champions. It's unprecedented. And then there you go. There's your WrestleMania main event, triple threat match. Charlotte challenging both Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch. Main event, WrestleMania. Do you think that's something that could happen?
0: I I, I think it's certainly within the, the, the confines of possibility. I don't, mind, I don't mind that idea at all.
1: All right. Let's just say, for the sake of discussion, which neither of us think is going to happen, let's just say Charlotte doesn't win the Rumble, and let's say I'm wrong and Becky doesn't even enter it. Name me one diva, or I shouldn't say diva anymore. Name me one woman in this Royal Rumble who could be that dark horse miracle pick who you could see winning. If it's not Charlotte.
0: ah, uh, Listen, if you want to say miracle, it's got to be Bailey. You know, she's the ultimate here. She's the ultimate good guy for the women's division. And if I was going to have somebody surprise everybody, I'd have it be Bailey. That's who I would pick. But uh, my, my heart, my my gut says Charlotte Flair.
1: Yeah, Charlotte all the way. Yep. All right, folks. Give Mike a follow on Twitter at MikePWInsider. Of course, check out PWInsider.com for all your latest wrestling news, rumors, audio, all kinds of great stuff. Get the Elite subscription, well worth it. Thanks a lot, Mike. Really appreciate you coming on. Like my buddy Joe said, and I'm sure many people out there will agree, including myself after this interview, the Mount Rushmore of wrestling writers right here.
0: Uh, I don't I don't know who I pushed off the cliff to get on Mount Rushmore, but I appreciate <laughs> it. And uh, in all seriousness, you, if you want to check us out, we have an ad-free elite section. You can go to PWInsiderElite.com, sign up for that three days free. Check it out. There's over 10,000 audios up there, complete ad-free experience. And there's new content pretty much going up all day, every day. And we'll have live ongoing coverage of the Royal Rumble this Sunday. And, uh, you know, I've been very blessed and lucky to be able to do this for 15 years full-time, and I can't say anything but thank you So I want to thank everybody. You just never heard of me until now, whether you followed me and my writing and PW Insider's exploits over the last 15 years. I just want to say thank you. And Patrick, thank you for the invitation. And anybody who's friends with Josh Barnett's okay with me.
1: All right. That is a wrap for another episode. Big thank you to Mike Johnson from PW Insider for coming on talking a little bit of wrestling with me running down the Royal Rumble offering his thoughts and predictions Mike's one of the more accomplished wrestling writers in the industry big thrill to have him on so I appreciate you Mike thanks as well to my boy Joe another segment of the running with Joe guys listen man if you haven't done so already I'm imploring you to subscribe to this podcast it's quick it's easy it's completely free not asking you to donate any money, not asking you to join my Patreon or whatever the other stuff that is going on out there with other podcasts. All I want you to do is subscribe. And the benefit of being a subscriber is that when you do subscribe, new episodes of this automatically get sent directly to your phone or to your computer within just minutes of being released. Usually I have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. All you got to do, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, whip it out, man. Open up that Apple Podcast app. Type in Analytics Podcast under the search button. Hit the subscribe button. Literally, that's it. That's all you got to do. If you do want to leave a five-star rating or a couple of kind words for review, certainly not going to get mad at you over it. If iPhones or iPads are not your thing, or if you prefer to get your podcast elsewhere, you can hit us up on Google Podcasts iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter for updates, news, podcast polls, just all kinds of silliness. You can do that at Pad Tweets. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the Pro Bowl. Enjoy the Royal Rumble. Enjoy whatever the hell it is that you're up to. Have fun. Be safe. Talk to you guys again. Next Tuesday, I'll catch
2: you on the flippity flip. Bye.